I got no oh, idea. Yep, now it's back to, now it's bad? Back to being bad. You have to hold it. Testing. Test, testing. Test, okay, test. I mean, it's... Shit, I'm going to have to keep an eye on the waveform now. Yeah, you're going to watch that like a hawk. Shit, that's not good. That's not good. Did that test? Did that? Okay, I mean that look, are, are looks you, pretty are you good doing now. Okay now. Maybe that's what it all it was. Uh oh, 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 oh. Yeah, just keep just keep doing that. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah. Everything. I think it's okay now. It's okay adjacent, which is reassuring. I don't know. I don't know. Welcome to Creature Crunch, the podcast where we take a creature, we crunch it down, start poking at it, and uh, then just scream as it turns into a horrible, monstrous goop. My name is Matt. And I'm Wilford Brimley's teeny tiny UFO. <laughs> and there's going to be a lot of background noise that is yeah, unable is. to be avoided. Um, yeah, there is. Especially when the kids show up and... Yeah, the, the noisy ones aren't here yet. Yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, so, this, <laughs> <Da -dump. laughs> so this is, uh, this year marks the 40th anniversary for John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. Uh, it hit theaters again in Fathom Events just this past week. Yep. And, uh, as a result, I decided to do, uh, to, to cover basically what I attribute to be my all-time favorite straight-up horror movie. It's really good. Like it is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This this is as far as straight up horror goes, this is my favorite. Yeah. It's like it's wild. I've seen this movie so many times and there are parts in it now like still watching it today, like I just watched it last night where I'm still like tense and like oh god, even though I know it's going to happen, like it's it's a good movie. It's so suspenseful. It is a just, good movie. Yeah. So, um I I think I we'll just go ahead and Here, hold on. Let me see here. Um so we'll do something. Yeah. For somebody for something. So, I mean, obviously, uh, we're big fans of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, it is. It's it's considered a, a classic. It's, uh, ironically anyway, considered one of the greatest horror movies of all time, um, even though it was panned when it came out. Oh, severely. It oh, was a... my God. When I was uh, yeah. doing the research through this movie, um, I, like one of my things I do is I go through the entirety of the IMDb trivia page and it was like, mentally exhausting because like a good fourth of the page was just talking about the, like giving excerpts from what critics were saying about yeah, it yeah and it hurt my soul well it came <laughs> out the same year at like at like two weeks after et mm -hmm. and the search for or, uh wrath of khan excuse me wrath of khan yeah so it was being unfavorably compared to those two movies although it's not really it's like, not an alien movie. I know the creature is an alien, but well, it it those are much softer sci-fi movies. Yeah, like they're, they're like especially ET is like a very much a family movie. Well, that's that is what a lot of like the producers and a lot of the uh, the filmmakers attribute a big portion of this uh -huh. movie's um, lack of success to is ET because at the time um, viewing audiences, I guess they they think that they wanted to see more lighter. Um, softer and and even more comedic and family friendly movies right. uh alien movies and this is anything Not. but um and a lot of uh, a lot of critics panned it because they they felt it was basically gore porn yeah which 
I read that the uh, director and star of the original thing from another uh, a thing from another world thing from another world. Yes, thank you. Like hated this movie when it came. Oh, out. he like, he hated it. Hated it. Yeah, he just like oh he he was very very everybody hated it. Mm-hmm. There were very few people. I mean, I guess uh, Siskel Gene Siskel uh-huh. of, of Siskel and Ebert liked it, but like other than that, very few people enjoyed this movie. Yeah. And, like people were calling John Carpenter the pornog- pornographer of gore. And, yeah, it's. And it's like, and of course, I mean, you also have to consider this movie came out in the 80s and super gory movies weren't necessarily as common or as... Uh, no. It, it, you look at it today and it's like it's like Penny said to me, it's, you know, back then we didn't have movies like Saw. Well, yeah. So it's a lot different. It, it hits a lot different now. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of being the gore factory that audiences saw it as back then, now it is more of a, uh, just kind of a... Uh, a show pay, a showpiece for really good practical effects, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a different audience, it's a different time, uh, but it's still it, it <laughs> like I feel John Carpenter's pain when like, yeah there he wouldn't even talk about the movie for a couple years after it came out because he was like so distraught over how poorly it did yeah and, and like, he he always takes he takes harsh criticisms pretty hard yeah yeah and this one in particular. Um, it, it nearly ruined his career as far as I could tell. Like mm-hmm. he, he was set up to do Firestarter after this and it, it's, yeah, it was bad for him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it, it, it turned around in the end, obviously. It, it, I mean, it's definitely a cult favorite now. In like... Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, uh, websites that I was reading have it, um, in their like top 10 of horror, best horror movies of all right. time. Um, it's on. It's featured on lists everywhere. It's considered one of the best. Well, I mean, now. it's it's a franchise now. Like mm-hmm. there, there's been there's comic a... book adaptations. Uh, they tried to get a series based off of it off the ground that kind of fell through. Yeah, but it sounded like it was going to be wild. Um, there was that like the prequel movie, which is its own bag of worms, and <laughs> we'll cover it eventually. No, we won't. I want to. I want. <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> You can watch it on your own goddamn time. I ain't touching that again. Um, and I guess there's going to be a sort of spiritual remake to it that is based more off of the original book that the short story was based off, that thing from another world was based off. So it's like a five times distilled adaptation. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a it's been featured it's a, in it's uh, a thing. Yeah, sure. It's a uh, the thing. Yeah, now. okay. <laughs> it's been featured in uh, Universal Studios Hollywood Horror Nights. It's like yeah, the um apparently uh in during Midwest the Midwinter Feast uh in the for the uh, British Antarctic Research Stations uh-huh. they have a tradition to watch this movie on on during the uh, their festivities Which every seems June twenty like first. Bad idea, if you ask me. Right, right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, whatever. I guess. Oh yeah, where where this movie takes place, we're just gonna watch it like right before things get terrible. <laughs> For us. Before the night never ends. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then again, I guess if you're going to be in, or in Antarctic Research Station, uh, you probably have to have a pretty high fortitude already. I but... couldn't do that. Like, that would just, that would drive me completely around the bend. Now they're drilling through the roof, man. It's going to be a nightmare of audio. Oh, yeah, this is going to sound gross. Yeah, so I, I, I'm i going to throw that in here officially. Like, full disclaimer, there's going to be a lot of background noise on this because we don't have what I would define as any sort of recording studio. No. And, uh, <laughs> and 
children that I am obligated to watch and uh, a wife who is obligated to clean a fish tank on behest of her daughter and uh, a whole other things. There, there's going to be a lot of background noise, so I do do apologize. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, of course, obviously, if you, for whatever reason, haven't seen this yet, uh, there will be spoilers. And if you haven't seen this, go watch it first. This yeah. is a... This is a movie where the spoilers really, really matter, I think. Yeah. I have to ask, Matt, where did you watch this? I want, I bought this on Amazon. Did you? Okay. Even so you though watched... I, I already own the movie, but I was just like, eh, fucking, I'll just get yeah. it digitally. So what what my experience with that was is um, when Suncoast Video up in Springs closed, mm-hmm. uh, I picked up a bunch of uh, cheapo DVDs from them. And one of them was what they called the John Carpenter, yeah, the John Carpenter collection. Sure. And it had uh, The Thing, Prince of Darkness, They Live, and uh, what was the other one? In the Mouth of Madness. Okay. All in one DVD like thing. That's a hell of a collection. Those yeah, are yeah. great movies. Great. Yeah. So uh, I picked that up for like 25 bucks, and I was like, okay, cool. I got you know four John Carpenter movies, and Chivo, and they're in a nice little slip, slip case. Uh, but I never really watched them because I'd seen The Thing a million times before that, just renting yeah. it and seeing it. Like, yeah, it was more of a. It was more of a. Let's just... It's more like I just want these movies, so yeah, I never actually nice watched that collection. copy of the DVD. Right. Uh, so when we sat down to watch it for for the show here, I was like, okay, fine. I have it. I don't need to buy it. I'm gonna watch it. So I pull it out, pull the disc out, and pop it in my my DVD playing device and start watching it. Uh huh. And it is in the worst aspect ratio I have ever seen a movie. Okay. It was a widescreen cut, which is fine. Sure. But. It was so small in the middle of my screen. I had like half the width of the picture in black borders on all sides. Oh, whoa. Okay. And it was super blurry. Oh, no. It looked like garbage. It was the worst. Like, so now I have to, I'm going to try and get a actual copy of this that I I can watch. Right. Because that was bad times. (laughs) That sucks. I have like I, I need to watch the other movies and that to see if they're as bad too, and I really hope they're not right. because like in the Mouth of Madness is one of my my favorite John Carpenter movies. Sure. Um, I wonder if it's is, is it a product of just the uh, the update of device slash TV that you're watching it, it on because be? I mean when Suncoast video I mean it's been a while ago now it's yeah been a while ago now yeah that was when I I think most <laughs> most TVs were still tube TVs yeah so that that could be it but I, and like even the menus were like low budget menus. Oh man. So I get the distinct impression this was a like a quickie that they farted out to put in in that, that collection. collection. Yeah. Sure, sure. Like there were almost no bonus features on it at all, which oh, wow. for this movie is a crime because there's, yeah, there, there's a lot there's a lot of information here. There was no commentary. Oh. Like <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, so I was just like, "Oh my god, this is incredibly disappointing." Right? All right. Well, um see, so yeah, we'll we'll jump into this then. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, one, one interesting thing to note is that, uh, apparently director Toby Hooper, mm-hmm. um, of, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist fame was originally set to direct this yeah. and was even under contract by the studio to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he ended up writing up a couple early scripts that. Yeah. And his was going to be very different. <laughs> very, very different. It was originally going to be a dark horror comedy. Right. Um, had no shape-shifting monster. Yeah, It, it yeah. was supposed to be a a true sequel to The Thing from Another World. Uh-huh. Um, and was kind of a, like, 
it was it was basically going to be Moby Dick set in the Arctic. Yeah, where yeah, that's where the, this character named the Captain was hunting down the thing. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, he had it all written up, and apparently the producers read the script and they were like, "Oh my god, this is awful! This is going to be a disaster!" And so uh-huh. they fired him and brought in John Carpenter. And even then, they were like, "We avoid. We dodged a bullet there." <laughs> I, yeah, uh, Toby Hooper, I think, is was a great director. Like. Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist are amazing. Right. But that sounds like hot garbage. <laughs> Again, it's one of those where I really wish I could peek into the alternate universe where that uh-huh. got greenlit just to see what it ended up being. But, but just like everyone who wasn't in this movie that could have been is uh-huh. mind-blowing. Like, Oh, yeah. I've got extensive Jesus, extensive notes on yeah. that. But um, And then uh, when Carpenter took over... Uh, he took a look at the source materials, um, namely uh, the original movie, The Thing from Another World. Uh-huh. But then he also looked at the original story, Who Goes There? Uh-huh. And he was just like, you know what? No, I'm not going to remake this 1951 movie. I'm going to make a movie based off of this actual so- the the short story, story. That was based off mm-hmm. of the novel, like, what is it, Thawing Freeze or something like that? I, I don't. I didn't, it, it's, it's, I didn't go that far work. down the hot. Yeah, by the, the same uh, author. It's a longer work. But, but uh, but yeah, he pulled a lot from the original story than from than from the uh, the 1951 movie. Yeah, yeah. Which is why uh, it is not considered technically a remake; it's its own thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the movie opens up after some credits, of course. Uh, apparently, they originally wanted the credits to be at the end of the movie only. They did not. They More wanted the title, credits. but mm-hmm. then at, then jump into the movie. But uh, just due to the various like contracts and. And yeah. uh, movie laws back then, they had to put it at the beginning. I miss uh, opening credits. You know, but I, they they add a lot to movies. I think. I think it depends. I think yeah. really, really depends. And I'm glad that nowadays studios can play around with that a little yeah. bit more. They're not contractually obligated to shoehorn it in the front. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but I mean, it, it's it, this is one of those movies where when you look at the what ifs of what it could have been, it's so For hard real. to imagine. For real. Because this movie is so ingrained in our pop culture as, and as a, uh, just, you know, in our nostalgia. It's like mm-hmm. this, it's hard to imagine this movie not being what it is. But, uh. It, like, and it, it's hard to imagine this movie being a huge flop. Just based off uh-huh. of the, the cult that's surrounded it at this point. Right. And like how big of, like it's getting a 40th anniversary, like, event that's being released in theaters nationwide and everything. Right. And it was like. A stink bomb of a movie when it came out. Yeah, it, it bombed hard. Yeah, <laughs> it made no money back. But uh, but it opens up. There's a spaceship that crashes down, lands onto Earth, which is honestly my least favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> the, yeah, the opening spaceship part. It's very strange. Like they they could have cut that entire part, and it would have changed nothing in the movie, and honestly would have made it a little better. I, I agree. Yeah, because you would have had there would have been more mystery as to where this thing actually came right. from. Right, and then when you get to the the Norwegian camp and you see the excavated spaceship, and you're just like, oh man. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what we're dealing with. But uh, movie takes place in 1982 or Antarctica, um, and I want to say that like immediately you you get that that uh, that soundtrack that score uh-huh. that I freaking love how ominous that soundtrack is. Mm-hmm. Um, But uh, another product of the times, or another uh, another uh, <laughs> another uh, result of this, is uh, composer uh, Ennio Morricone um, handled the score, and yeah. 
he was actually nominated for a Razzie for the worst score for this movie. The Razzies fucking suck. Yeah, they do. Um, but much later, he ended up using some unused music from this movie and uh-huh. repurposed it for Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. And that music earned him an Oscar. Yeah. So it's like, it's the same. Ugh. Yeah. You, <laughs> fucking, fucking. Uh, like, I know that the soundtrack to this movie is very divisive. Like, I know there's people who just, ab- like, even beyond the whole Razzie thing, who absolutely do not like the soundtrack of this movie. Right. I think it adds so much. It's, I love it. It's yeah. one of my favorite soundtracks. Yeah, yeah. It, it It is, it encapsulates the terror and suspense and, honestly, the edge of your seat kind of like, yeah. oh my god, what's, what, what? Well, it doesn't have, like, scare strings or anything like that. It's just this constant Ominous. Dread. Yeah, it's just, dread is a good word for yeah. it. Yeah. It's also weird that this is one of the the few movies that uh, Carpenter didn't score himself mm-hmm. because he's he's very well known for like for scoring his own movies like right. Halloween and They Live and right all that all that stuff. Um, and that's like one of his selling points as a director is you save money on not hire, having to hire a composer. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, right, right. You you would get. Uh, Carpenter, and he'd be like, okay, uh, you hire me to do this movie, and I'll also do the soundtrack for it, and I won't charge you, like, that much more. Yeah. It won't make you pay me for both roles. I'll pay you, you can pay yeah. me, like, one and a half roles. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, we're saving money, so we'll do that. And that's why, even though he had such a long string of failures after Halloween, like, it, they're, they're movies that are now regarded, like, highly, highly well, right. but at the time they weren't, and he still kept getting work, it's because he was cheap, <laughs> relatively. Like he, his thrifty. he was thrifty. He was thrifty. He yeah. was thrifty. There's there's something else that ha- with that, but um, but yeah, the movie opens up. Uh, we get this uh, man in a helicopter, uh, or a couple men in a helicopter chasing a dog mm-hmm. across the tundra, trying to shoot it. Um, and we are introduced to U.S. National Science Institute Station Four, as according to the sign. Uh, although in the drafts, early drafts of the film, uh, mm-hmm. they label it as simply U.S. Outpost Number Thirty One. And later in the film, McCready even says that. Yeah. So just knows. whatever. They just changed the name for the sign for whatever yeah. reason. <laughs> um, there was an earlier institute here and they just never took the sign away. Yep. Um, and then we're introduced kind of uh, haphazardly to the crew of this, this station or Outpost yeah. 31. And uh, I guess one of the cuts that was released for home video mm-hmm. had... Uh, where it, basically instead of jumping right into all of this stuff going on, right. it kind of led in slowly introducing all of the characters first, and Carpenter hates that edit. Yeah. So. There are a ton of edits of this movie. Y- like, there are. There and are. there's alternate endings that weren't released, but were shot. And... Then there's also, also alternate endings that were written and never shot, and yep, then yep, there yep. were others that were considered and never written, and... Yeah. But, um... But we, we see that this team, they're, they're kind of relaxing in their rec room, um, and we're introduced to helicopter pilot uh, McCready, played by Kurt Russell. And this playing... is such a great character introduction. It like... is. <laughs> he's, he's playing chess against a computer, uh, and the computer is voiced by uh, Adrienne Barbeau. Who was married to John Carpenter <laughs> at the time. Yep, yep. But she had a brief cameo in here. Yeah, as a computer voice. Yep. And he uh, he loses this chess game and just go ahead, he just pours his, out, his drink into the out computer, which... Yeah. Which is a great way of handling your equipment in the Arctic. I don't know <laughs> what is long-term. <laughs> After accusing the computer of cheating. Yep. Um, and uh, McCready was originally written 
uh, with the idea of Harrison Ford or Clint Eastwood playing him. And I... <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. And it's another one of those things, like I said, it's hard to imagine the alternate universes uh-huh. with this, with these came to fruition. But it's just interesting to think about. Um, and then uh, apparently both Nick Nolte and Jeff Bridges I were could... both approached and yeah. turned it down. I could see Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges is a good analog. Um, Fred Ward, who would go on to Ooh. do Tremors, <laughs> evidently tried out for the role. Like, um, he's great, but I can't imagine yeah. him doing this. Rest in peace, Fred Rest Ward, who recently Ward. passed away. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, oh, I also want to mention that there's a Smokey the Bear sign on the on the station sign. And I, I can't help but wonder how much of a problem Wildfire actually is in the Arctic Circle. Uh, well, I, but, like, later in the movie, there's a lot of fire, man. I know, but uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's not Wildfire. It's pretty wild, man. So, um, anyway, this, this chopper, uh, which is Norwegian... Uh, chases this dog to the station, and they begin tossing grenades at it. Yeah. Like, they are really trying to kill this dog. And uh, the helicopter ends up landing, and one of the men jumps out and tries to throw a grenade, but, oops, he got slippy fingies, and he, <laughs> the grenade just kind of lands in the snow next to the chopper. Like, I don't know how you... you how he would have landed that grenade there without throwing it there on purpose. Like, <laughs> I can kind of see it, though. Like, it's it's a goofy scene, but like uh-huh. he's wearing these big old gloves. Yeah. He's probably pretty terrified. Like, if you think about what the, these two men probably went through, just got finished going through, probably shaky. Like, yeah, yeah. But it is really comical. It's just, whoop. <laughs> you can almost hear the Looney Tunes sound effect. <laughs> 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 but he dives into the snow. He tries to fish it out, trying to get away from the, the chopper because... As we finally later learn, the chopper is filled with flammable, fu- like, fuels. Everything is filled with flammable stuff in this movie. <laughs> but, I mean, this one is in particular, like, they yeah. were they were bringing stuff to basically burn this dog. Uh-huh. And uh, so the, the chopper goes up. Um, the uh, the other Norwegian man runs out uh, chasing the dog with a gun. And uh, he ends up uh, shooting at the dog and hits the dog and also hits George who's played by Peter Maloney. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the characters are biologists and uh, uh, geologists and other scientists. Uh, yeah. I didn't notate all of their positions, no. even though they do have listed yeah, positions. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, George is one of these scientists. Gets shot in the leg, uh, and the station manager, Gary, played by Donald Moffat, he, he kind of breaks the glass of the station in order to shoot the region. Again, probably not the greatest of ideas in the Arctic. I have to imagine they do have replacement glass somewhere. I think so. Otherwise, right, like... right. I mean, it's it's kind of impressive that they were able to get away with single pane windows in the Arctic anyway. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he I don't know how that he works, does, man. he he hold, he wastes no time. He's no just, time. I, I guess there's a lot of backstory between on these characters that was considered but not implemented at all. And with Gary, it's a lo- very hinted that he is a veteran, uh-huh. and like the sidearm he carries is more out of habit than anything else. It's one of those movies where the backstories of the characters are not in the movie itself, but, like, you can tell that they all have their own backstories. They're not, like, Tabula Rasa characters. Right. And Gary in particular. Gary and McCready are probably the two most exemplary of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he uh, he breaks this out, and the Norwegian shouts at them all in, in, in a very broken Norwegian, uh, which apparently roughly translates to, get the hell out of here, that's not a dog, it's some sort of thing. It's an imitation dog. It isn't real. Get away, you idiots! Okay. <laughs> so I've he's kind of wondered what he what he shouts because I you know I don't speak Norwegian. So. Yeah, and I imagine that most um, movie going audiences 
also don't. Except for the Nor- Norwegian ones. Except for the Norwegian ones. Yeah. Um, they, they, they have a leg count. up. They they get they, they get the hint a little bit yeah. more than we do. I wonder if, if they, like, for Norwegian, like, audiences, if they dubbed the movie Norwegian and had the Norwegian pilot speak something else and say they're from somewhere else. I've always wondered that about a lot of foreign movies. Yeah. Um, or movies that have foreign speaking. Right, right, right. But I don't know. I don't know. That'd be interesting to find out. Because, I mean, <laughs> otherwise... They're just speaking Norwegian. And <laughs> yeah, it, honestly, what it probably is, they probably redubbed it to say something not as giving or, or uh, um, yeah. alerting. <laughs> but or maybe um, it, that wasn't a language this movie was redubbed in. I, I don't Who knows? But uh, my DVD didn't have language options. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, gee, I wonder. I can't imagine. Why not, Chris? Yeah, I know. <laughs> that they wasn't spent, one of the features. They spent a buck fifty on the fucking <laughs> DVD. <laughs> Um, but after they shoot the Norwegian in the eye, um, there's a lot of, I'll do it. yeah, there, there's apparently a lot of just, um, iconography in this movie. Yeah. And, uh, um, well, well, they say when you're shooting, you got to really aim with your eye. Aim with, <laughs> you got to aim into the eye actually yeah, yeah. is what the, what, oh, what okay, it actually is. Most, yeah, most people get that wrong. Okay. <laughs> it's aim into the eye. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, we learned that, uh. They, they go to their communications officer, um, Windows, who is played by... Uh, Thomas G. Waits. Thomas G. Waits. Uh, they, he's can't radio out for some reason. He can't reach anybody outside of, uh, outside of the station. And mm-hmm. I guess there's a popular fan theory um, propagated by Carpenter himself. Okay. That the idea is that the thing actually already landed and enslaved the rest of the world already. And oh, that's geez, why really? he can't radio out. Um, a lot of people have debunked it because it's like, well, that doesn't make any damn sense. Um, because it takes, you know, according to later in the movie, it takes a lot longer for that to happen. And they just dug yeah. the, the Norwegians just dug this up. And, but that's, that's the theory. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I, I don't subscribe to that theory. I don't theory. see that myself. Yep. If, for one thing, that makes everything these this everything in this movie just absolutely hopeless, which normally I'm down for. But yeah, no. And I, I mean, this this is the first part of uh, Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, right? That fe- that is uh, the thing, um, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, and each one of those movies basically does end with the world ending. So <laughs> you know, maybe. <laughs> But the other ones, anyway. So yeah, I, no, I, I don't. I don't personally subscribe to that theory. Although, what I could, from what I could tell, I guess Carpenter himself is the one who kind of hinted at this. Yeah. At one point or another. Um, then again, he's also got a lot of conflicting hints he, about this movie. So. Yeah, yeah. That's just that's just kind of his yeah old milieu right there. But that um, and, uh, playing uh, Fallout seventy six. But he's, he does a lot of that anymore. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> whatever. Go you, man. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess also one of the. Uh, oh no, it's not even in the earlier draft. But I guess in the in the short story, and uh, what was almost made it to the end of this draft is that they, the the part of the uh, kind of terror and suspense was that they weren't isolated from everybody else. Like they could contact uh-huh. the outside world because in 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 the real world an Antarctic station would have to check in pretty regularly. Right. So being weeks without contact would not happen without somebody sending yeah. support. So in the, in the uh, original story and then in some of the earlier drafts, they actually had to keep radioing in to pre- and pretend that everything was still okay so that oh. they wouldn't send somebody over because they were like, we can't let this thing get out. 
so that was a little bit of the dread and suspense that, in the original. That's creepier. Like, yeah, like right? That. Like, that's horrifying. Yeah. And, you know, these people are struggling to survive, but they're also trying to keep the outside world safe. Mm-hmm. And so they have to keep pretending that things are fine. Um, but uh, obviously it didn't make it into the movie. No. Um, but Mac and Doc Copper, uh, played by Richard Dysart, uh, decide to head to the Norwegian station to kind of see what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're they're all talking about maybe these men probably went nuts or, you know, cabin fever. Figure right. out what the hell is going on because that was weird. Um, and they have to fly an hour away to see what happened to the eight other men who are apparently on their crew. And don't they mention that they're racing a storm, basically, at this point? Like, there's they know that there's a storm that's supposed to come in, and that's going to cut them off from yeah, everything. Yeah, there's yeah. a storm on the way, and it's also right at the beginning of the winter season. Right. Which is already also pretty bad. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and so they, they go away, and Mac, by the way, is wearing one hell of a hat as he pilots the chopper. <laughs> like, he has got one hell of a hat. And, yeah. and the hat is in a lot of other scenes in the movie. It's it's a choice. There's some fashion choices <laughs> in this movie. Um, but we get some very ominous scenes of the doggo slinking through the facility. Uh, and just looking generally like... I mean, he's a cute dog. He, he's, a, he's a very pretty dog. He's a half-wolf. Uh, yep, he's a yeah. he's a half wolf, half Malamute named Jed. Yeah, and from what I understand, everyone on the set thought that dog was a consummate professional. Yeah, he was great. The uh, this scene specifically where he's kind of walking through the hallways and kind of mm-hmm. looking into rooms, they only had to do four takes of because the yeah. dog was so well behaved and didn't look at the crew didn't or look, the cameras. Didn't look at the crew. Didn't look at the camera. Like, e- like in the scenes when he's in the kennel with the other dogs, where he's just sitting there like motionless. Like, he was perfect. Yeah. Because, for one thing, he was half wolf, and that just let him be a little more standoffish than the other dogs, and, like, not as friendly, like, not as tail <laughs> waggy and hyper as some dogs are. Right. So he was able to just be, like, kind of yeah. creepy. No, Jed was a professional. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. Um, and, uh, but we see him kind of slinking through the hallways, and he walks up to a room where you can see the silhouette of somebody, mm-hmm. and he kind of walks in, and the silhouette turns to, to address him. Um, which of course we later find out is the first assimilation. Yeah. Um, and I guess Carpenter really wanted this to be a mystery as to who the man was. So the shadow was not cast by any of the actors. Right. He used somebody else. Well, that's one of the, uh, that's like the dread of this movie is you don't know who was taken when. Really? Like, yeah, it's, you can make guesses and like you can piece together the sequence of events, but as you're watching it, you don't really know who was taken when. Yeah, and you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, but we cut to the Norwegian facility, which is in smoldering ruins, mm. and is actually the same set from the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, which is one of those thrifty things where Carpenter, instead of spending like 175000 to rebuild a new ruined set, right. he was just like, we'll ruin this first set for the climax, and we'll just repurpose it for this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that was really good. Uh but uh, they find a bloody fire axe lodged in a door. And boy, and... oh boy, if you want to know where that axe came from, watch the prequel. That's the payoff. <laughs> you find out where that axe came from. Oh boy. Um, and fucking movie. <laughs> I, them, it's one of those movies that actually makes me mad. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we, we learn basically, they, they, they look around, they find a dead man who looks like he killed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge block of ice that resembles an open coffin. Um, basically something really terrible happened here. Something bad happened mm-hmm. here, yeah. And then they find, uh, a burned pile of what might have been a human at one point in time. Um. It's got a split head and just yep, the fans, looking. 
Oh. Fans have subsequently dubbed this Split Face. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the special effects were created by Rob Botton, who was... Um, who has handled the makeup effects in a number of other movies after this, including Total Recall, RoboCop, Seven, and Piranha. They bring back the remains, um, as well as some of the research from the Norwegian base. And um, it's a whole pile of a bad time. Yep. Um, Copper asks Blair, who's played by Wilford Brimley, to perform an autopsy on it. A pre-mustache Wilford Brimley. He looks very strange. Yeah, he does. Uh, and he was, he, it's interestingly enough, he was cast, um, Wilford Brimley was put in this role because of his kind of everyman appearance and personality. Like, he was just such an unassuming person. Right. And they wanted a character, or they wanted an actor to be uh, in the movie where the audience wouldn't really notice when he wasn't in a scene. Mm-hmm. Because that's important for later in the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um... And, and that's why Brimley was cast. Um, and, like, we get more shots of the doggo watching, and it's terrifying. It really is. He's just so still. He's got those piercing eyes. Mm-hmm. And, like... Um, they learn that the Norwegian that they killed seemed to be physically fine and sound. And uh, not, you know, not on drugs, not... Right. Nothing, no substance abuse, nothing like that. And Blair discovers that the, the big pile of mess has perfectly normal internal organs. Like, yeah. they're all there. They're just... Not where they're supposed <laughs> yeah, to be. Yeah, not where they're supposed to be. And also the face. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we see... Uh, we get a, a brief scene introducing some other characters. We learn that uh, uh, there's Palmer, played by uh, David Clennon, and Childs, played by the uh, legendary Keith David. Hell yeah. In his very first credited film role. For the role of Childs, uh, the filmmakers considered Carl Weathers, mm-hmm. Isaac Hayes, and Ernie Hudson. And Hudson almost got it. Oh, yeah, he came in second to uh, to Keith David. Mm-hmm. But and like, um, I mean, if you're gonna come in second to anybody, like, <laughs> but but it's like, again at the time he was Keith he David was a nobody. Keith David, yeah. So yeah. I mean, he was Keith David. But you're right, he wasn't Keith David. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and also in the movie, Childs wears gloves through most of the movie because uh, Keith David had broken his hand in a car accident right Ooh, before shooting. Bummer. So they had to hide the cast. So okay. he's wearing gloves the entire time. <laughs> Um, but, uh, the doggo brushes up against George's wounded leg, who gets really upset because, you know, yeah. Yeah. And he asks the dog handler, Clark, played by Richard Mazur, uh, to put him in the kennel with the other dogs. And this is where this, things this is where get it goes bad. Yeah. This is where things get real bad real fast. It ramps up to like a million. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the other dogs don't seem to like the newcomer. Nope. They, they seem distressed and the newcomer's face just, you know, opens up. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of opens <laughs> like a flower. Blooming, and this this is hard for me to watch more than like any of the stuff that happens to like the human characters. But this dog, these dogs, like not having a good time here, is hard <laughs> for me to watch. Yeah, I can't watch what happens. I don't want you don't, you don't want to watch doggos die. Yeah, come on, uh, <laughs> I don't care about the people. Yeah, like it the the the, uh, the the thing grows tentacles and spider legs and begins spraying one of the other dogs with some kind of fluid while making bad sounds. Yeah, it's like digestive fluid it's it is we yeah. learn later and, and that poor dog is just getting hosed yeah, down with so that for that dog fluid. and it's the one that tried to bite through the fence uh-huh uh, but, but yeah it's making bad sounds um Oh, my God. 
Um, in this scene, uh, Stan Winston, of course, of Terminator, mm-hmm. Jurassic Park, and Aliens fame, helped a lot with the uh, with the prop work on this dog. Because at this point in time, Boaten was having problems. He was overworked like crazy. Bet, yeah. he, he spent weeks at the studio, never going home, sleeping on the floor. Um, and he ended up having like real bad uh, exhaustion. Uh, he got a bleeding ulcer. Oh, like geez. The, the man was in bad shape. And yeah. so he was having issues, especially when they were shooting this scene. Well, so this Winston is, came in to help out. Yeah, this is such an effects it, prominent movie. Yeah. That like... Yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of information as to how they achieved a lot of these effects. Mm-hmm. I didn't notate any of them because it's a little bit more technical than I'd like right, to get right. into. But um, but Winston came in to help out, and afterwards he insisted that he not be credited because he didn't want to overshadow Boaten. He was Stan like, Winston is Boaten's a pretty good guy. He seems like a stand-up dude. Um, but, of course, uh, Clark returns to see what all the commotion is, and he finds a horror factory. God, yeah. Um, it, this is still a shocking scene. Like it's it's a rough scene. It's the one that remind like anytime I think of this movie, this is the scene that first pops in my head. Mm-hmm. And Mac overhears the distressed animals in in his bunk, and he immediately decides to pull the fire alarm because he knows shit's going down. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yep. And everybody kind of mobilizes to find the problem. Mac sends for Childs, and you get uh, I don't even remember who it said, but Childs, Mac wants the flamethrower. Mac wants the what? That's what he said. Now move. Damn it. <laughs> you what? know, a scientific flamethrower. I imagine it's for de-icing purposes. <laughs> That's kind of what I imagine too, but there's a lot of flamethrowers here. There's and at least two. Yep. Three. Um, no, there's at least three. Yep. Excuse me. Evidently, most of the flamethrowers used in the movie are actual military spec liquid-fueled flamethrowers. Oh, God. Although there was one exception that was a commercial model sold to burn weeds and remove ice from planes and other equipment. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's probably what it is. But at the same time, these are military grade. <laughs> <They're flamethrowers, laughs> Which so. I guess maybe that's why they put the Smokey the Bear sign in front. Like yeah. you're gonna be using fire to melt ice. You be careful. Yeah. <laughs> make sure you're putting. Make sure you're putting out your cigarette butts in ashtrays. Only you can prevent ice fires. <laughs> um, and Max sees this half mutated thing and partially dissolved dog, and we get our another really good look at at this creature. Yeah. Um, and it. It makes some more bad noises and then starts. Uh, they start shooting it and some of the other dogs to put them out of their misery. I don't know. Clark clearly cares for the animals because he's their, you know, he's yeah. their their handler and tries to stop everybody. He's pushing their shotguns away, scientific shotguns. And uh, <laughs> they have so many weapons here. Why? Well, okay. So I guess the reason being is because. Um, uh, despite the like the accords about Antarctic and like all of the laws right. preventing basically firearms and things from existing, this movie takes place during the Cold War. Yeah, and apparently there was supposed to be a Soviet base not too far away. Oh, okay. So they had these guns under lock and key, which is why later in the movie he has to break into the to get the shotguns. Okay, but they had all these guns there <laughs> just in cases. So it, it it does kind of start making a little bit of sense, but, but whatever it's a suspend your disbelief. Um, uh, everybody else kind of just watches in horror as this creature grows really big arms and starts to climb up into the ceiling. Uh, and it does some even more mutating before child's finally lights it up with the flamethrower. Um, I guess there's a fan theory that child's at this point is already infected. Uh, I, it, some of the people cite that, like, in this movie, it looks like he's reluctant to burn it, and mm-hmm. then he steps back and looks ashamed. Um, and other people say that uh, 
in, in the previous scene when Palmer and him are watching a movie, they're sharing a joint. And at this point, we learn later on, spoilers, Palmer has already been assimilated. It's... Right. It's... Well, at least that's one of the fan theories, is Palmer has already been assimilated. And because this thing can kind of spread like a disease, when they're sharing the joint, Childs gets infected at that point. I don't buy any of this, though. I personally don't don't subscribe to this, especially since later on they test Childs' blood and it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So, whatever. Um, But uh, after all of this happens, Blair performs an autopsy on the thing and finds just... Oh, so much more. Nope. Blair deduces that the that it imitates other life forms and was trying to digest and absorb the other dogs. He he scientifically comes to the correct conclusion pretty quickly. Right. Um, he also touches the end of the pencil to the dead creature and then to his lip in contemplation, which again is like yeah is something that's like oh don't do that. And then a lot of people are like oh that's when he got infected. But again, like Carpenter is even going like no 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 no. That was just Brimley just trying to act. He was just, yeah. he was doing what he could and he was trying to be in contemplation. It would not, don't read into that. Um, but uh, he also comes to the conclusion that had they not interrupted it, the creature would have imitated all of the other dogs. Right. And see, like, that's my, my thing about when the, the thing starts imitating other people is it seems like it, it's more than just requiring, like, you know, sharing a joint with somebody or touching the blood. It seems like it requires an active presence with a main thing body. Like right. it requires it to be partially well, absorbed and stuff n- like that. Yeah. Not to skip ahead too far, but we only see really one other instance where uh, like up until this point and in most of the movie, it, it's always just kind of like, it's assumed that they are assimilated and, right. and then it duplicates yeah. somehow. Um, there's only one other instance where that we see where it the disease spreads based off of contact, mm-hmm. and that's after the blood test scene because right. it, it bites windows, windows, yeah, and then windows starts to mutate. But it's had some pretty severe contact with windows in that point, right? Right. So um, I honestly think it might be more of like a zombie effect, like it something. needs to kill the host, and th- like it needs to kill who's infected, and it, then they start. I, to I think it, re- it at least requires more contact than just. A no. quick, yeah, just yeah. a little bit of a, a few particles or whatever. That's the feeling that I got. But anyway. then again, well, but who yeah, knows? well, yeah, who knows? And that's that's part of why I love this movie is uh-huh. because it doesn't over-explain anything. No. These are all hypotheses yeah. that that Blair comes up with that mostly tend to be true, but never proven. Like we no. honestly don't know even at the end of this. Yeah, it's just we don't that, know who was a thing when or like or how or, or anything. Yeah. Or it's even just if, like how many of the main characters were things. Right. <laughs> um, while tending to the remaining dogs, I guess they're probably euthanizing a couple that did yeah, survive but sad. got wounded. Uh, Blair realizes that the dog wasn't put in the kennel until um, spending quite a bit of time alone with Clark. Uh-huh. And the team goes and watches the tapes from the Norwegian camp that they recovered, and it shows them trying to excavate something very large from the ice. Um, Mac heads up with Norris, who's played by Charles Hallahan, and Gary to see what they found. It's a spaceship. Yeah, and this would have been such a better reveal, like we said, if they didn't have that opening, like, it's definitely aliens. Right. (laughs) It's for sure 100% aliens. Honestly, though, this is another one of those scenes that I actually don't care for. Yeah. Honestly, if they were just, like, go out and find something, like, maybe they didn't find a giant spaceship Uh in the ice. Maybe they just found, like, 
wreckage of something they couldn't identify. Yeah, that would. Or been. even just the big chunk of ice that was removed. Yeah, like that would be like, where the hell did this thing come from? Or just like just, a giant hole from where the thing crashed. Right, right. Something <laughs> like that. Just hints. Uh huh. Instead of just, oh look, it's aliens. Yeah, yeah. But that's just me. Um. Like, I love science fiction, but I actually don't care for just... It, it, especially in horror, just straight up, it be aliens. Yeah. But, whatever. They're they're talking about how long this thing has been in the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, I meant to research it, but uh, Norris brings up the backscatter effect. Which, from what I understand, as far as I can tell, it's basically just... Things that were buried under the ice resurfacing, probably from melting ice and then yeah, yeah. but whatever. Um, and Norris hypothesized that the ship has been buried under the ice for at least a hundred thousand years. He just kind of comes to that conclusion. Not sure how. Where, yeah, whatever. where you pull that number from, buddy? But you um, don't know. And this is where I'd like to jump into what I would officially like to make a brand new segment in this. Oh God. Okay. According to IMDb. <laughs> okay. According to IMDb. <clears throat> There was nearly a version made in 1978 with an almost identical plot. Differences included in the screenplay were there were a few female characters and one character gifted with the power of telepathy. Nice. The most significant difference, however, was the UFO containing the alien would crash land in present-day Earth instead of a thousand years ago. Really, that's the most significant? That's the most significant difference. Not that someone has telepathy. Nope. Okay. And that there be ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Well, you can't, you can't have boobs in the Antarctic. Like, you know that. <laughs> that was actually another one of the, like, when I was scrubbing through IMDb and all of the other trivia, there is so much fucking trivia about genders. Yeah. It's like, did you know there aren't any women in this movie? It's like... <laughs> Yeah, I noticed. I Adrian watched Barbeau's the movie. right there. <laughs> it's like, did you know this movie had women in it in the original draft? I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I sure, I would have loved to see some female actors in here. Yeah. It didn't bother me that they weren't there. Yeah. Because if they were, they probably would have just been the token female. So, whatever. Like, ugh, it was. it's very aggravating. And I, I, I do, I guess that in the original story, there are women. Yeah. But it's like, so much of the trivia is centered around this fact. It's That's like, fine. I don't care. But anyway, um, Palmer is very on board with the idea that aliens are there. Um, yeah. Which, again, fans have latched onto because, again, later we know, learn that Palmer at this point is, a, is one of the things. And, uh, He's just like, oh yeah, the Mayans and citing all of this yeah. conspiracy theory bullshit. Chariot um, of the Gods and that bullshit. Yep. Um, Childs, however, is super skeptical. He's just like, he doesn't believe in any of this, even though there is a spaceship. Yeah. I think that these two men, there's there, there needs to be a comp, like a midpoint, but <laughs> whatever. Um, Nalls, played by T.K. Carter, uh, finds soiled clothes stuffed in the kitchen trash. Um, and he just kind of haphazardly just, you know, what, quit, you know, don't leave your garbage in the trash and don't leave don't like, leave your soiled drawers in the yeah, trash. Yeah, yeah. um but we later find that like mac is looking at him and realizes that these are shredded clothes of somebody who's been assimilated yeah and the name tags been either purposely ripped off or just destroyed yeah purposely ripped off i think is the, yeah. the, he just he, the way he puts it is it's been removed yeah yeah so um blair analyzes the cellular makeup of the thing and comes to the conclusion that there's a damn good possibility that somebody's already been infected 
and he also realizes that... Like, his computer says that there's, like, a 75% chance that at least one member of the crew has been assimilated. Um, And he also realizes that if the organism should reach a populated area, the entire world could be infected and taken over within 27,000 hours, which Mm -hmm. is just a little over three years. Yeah, and this is where the the series that got scrapped would have come in. Sure. Because it was supposed to take place in the American Southwest, and... It was going to be like, what would happen if the thing reached the mainland in an area where it could imitate any, like, a million different plants and animals. Right. Instead of being in the Arctic where there's very you know, limited nothing. options. Yeah. Right. And spoilers, uh, it doesn't go well. <laughs> and the end of the movie is the thing reaching New York City. Okay. And just, and that, and that's, that's it. where it ends is like, there's yeah. things in New York City. We can't stop them. We're, yep. we're, we're done. Yep. And the, but, that, but that is exactly what Blair is concerned yeah, about. Yeah. He realizes that, like, by the very nature of this thing, should it reach somewhere else, that's it's, it. It's that's curtains. Up. Yeah. They they end up moving the two gross bodies into Mac's room, who has to relocate to his shack, his mm-hmm. helicopter pilot shack. Um, Which I guess, you, as a helicopter pilot, you get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get um, two rooms. Yep. We're introduced to Fuchs, who's played by uh, Joel Polis. Uh, who asks Mac for a private moment while Windows and George contemplate what to do with the corpses. Mm -hmm. And Windows wants to burn them, but George disagrees, saying that they're the find of the centuries. Like, this thing, these things are important scientifically. Yeah. We can't burn them. Um, This is one of the things I like, is the cast is just big enough to make everyone paranoid. Yeah. Like, it's not overly large, so you have to remember a million different characters and all their interactions. It's not small enough that it's easy to tell, like, who's been infected. Like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. there's five of us, and that dude's acting weird. Yeah. It's just big enough. Yeah. It is, like, the perfect size. And uh, we see that one of the corpses begins to melt and stir. Um, Fuchs tells Mac in, like, in private that Blair has locked himself in his room, and he found Blair's journal, and Blair seems to believe that this can imitate any life form that it has ever come in contact with. So, otherworldly... Yeah. creatures that it's already assimilated. He's like, this thing's probably conquered worlds before. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it needs privacy and close proximity to absorb a life form, because otherwise everybody would know what, like, what happened with the dogs. Right. But he also says that the burned remains aren't entirely dead yet. Which begs the question as to why the hell Fuchs is like, hey Mac, we need to speak in private, instead of like, don't put that thing in this room and leave it alone. Let's all leave. Well, or I, something I else. I think Fuchs's thing is like, okay, Blair is pretty sure that at least one of the other crew members is infected. I know it's not me, because I'm me. And it's probably not Mac, because he's got his shit together. Right. Mac is, 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 you know, our lead person. He can't be infected. (laughs) Yeah, that is possible. But I don't know. It just seems to me like they're... I think Fuchs makes a questionable decision. Well, That's just me. There's but, many questionable decisions. Um, made. One, there's another theory or uh, or belief going around that uh, infected people don't realize they're infected. Like I, if somebody is yeah. assimilated, they don't know that they are the thing. Yeah, and you can see that during the blood test scene with uh, Windows. No, no, no. I disagree. I do not subscribe to this theory okay. because I think it's first of all bullshit. Because yeah. if that were the case. Being assimilated would mean nothing. This yeah. thing would have no means of, like, propagating itself. It's like, if it, if they honestly thought they were human mm-hmm. until the thing, until they, they were like, oh, I guess I'm not, 
they would have no way of knowing what motivations the thing okay. has. They, there would, the thing wouldn't have any motivations. It would be more of a bacteria or something mm-hmm. like that. And then it would also debunk like later on when they're when when whoever it is is trying to like frame Mac and mm-hmm. implicate him. It's like why like these people who are like oh I'm human but why am I doing this? This yeah. is weird. Like th- I don't subscribe to that okay. theory. Um, and also with the blood test scene, we'll get to that in a minute though. But um, anyway, um, Windows leaves George while he's being uh, like tending and uh, tending to the room and making it set up. And he comes back, and George is being absorbed. Yeah, <laughs> just just being absorbed. Uh, he rushes to find Mac and Fuchs, but when they return, George isn't there, and they end up finding well, quote unquote, George running through the snow. And when they catch up to him, he is almost completely mutated and um, makes some really bad noises before they just set him on fire. It isn't Benning. shit out of him yeah. they, they bring out propellant and douse him and burn him they set up a big snowbank like a big fire mm-hmm. pit um after the pyre mac finds that blair has wrecked the chopper and is now threatening the rest of the crew with a gun seemingly insane just completely mm-hmm. mad uh he smashes up the communication equipment in an attempt to strand the crew and he also destroyed the tractor and killed the remaining dogs i didn't know there were any dogs left so yeah there's a scene where I thought I thought they had all been euthanized at yeah. that point, but no, because we see a scene where okay. like Clark goes to check the the dogs after Blair does this and sees an axe sticking out of one of their necks, and okay. it's it's real sad. And Clark is broken up about it. But um, there's another again another theory that at this point Blair has already been assimilated, mm-hmm. and that he is smashing all of this stuff up in order to strand the crew so that the thing right. could be could freeze itself and then be found later. But I also don't subscribe to this belief because um, the thing wants to get out. Yeah. So why would it cut off its own escape? <laughs> um, I, I honestly think this is just Blair going nuts. Also, after like later on, after they lock up Blair in his shack, he suddenly has a drastic shift in personality. Uh-huh. So I think that the assimilation happens afterwards. But that's just me. Um, they end up you know, apprehending him and locking him in the tool shed and... Uh, but before departing, Blair advises Mac to lo- watch Clark very closely because he, you know, he's like, Clark was alone with that dog for a while. Yeah. Which again, to me, lends credence to that he is still human at this point. Um, but with the storm rolling in, the remaining crew have real no choice but to wait until spring. But they also realize that, you know, one or more of them have definitely been assimilated right. at this point. Uh, but not all of them. And they need a way to test out who might be human because if they wait till spring, they're not. They're not they're not, there's, yeah, they can't. They simply can't. Yeah. Um, and they, they need uncontaminated blood to test this theory because um, uh, Doc Copper is like, you know, if we introduce some infected blood or everybody's blood with the human blood and there's no reaction, they're human. But if, yeah. if we in, in, introduce somebody's blood to the un, uncontaminated blood and it, you know, goes crazy and starts eating the other blood, then we'll yeah. know. So they go to test it, but somebody already got to the blood. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why the pooled blood on the floor is no longer 
viable. Maybe, well, I guess it might be contaminated. It, it, point, it's probably but, contaminated with just, you yeah, know. Yeah, I, I, I puzzled that one together as I was talking. Floor goop. But uh, they, they kind of argue about who has access to the fridge, which is usually kept under lock and key. And Gary keeps the key while Doc Copper is the only one who takes the key to open the fridge. Right. And so suspicion is being shed on those two pretty heavily. And while everybody else is freaking out, Windows goes for a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, he starts losing his mind, um, and after this confrontation de-escalates, Gary decides that he this is far above his head. He's like, I'm, I am not qualified to to do this. So he relinquishes he relinquishes command, and Mac ends up taking up the uh, the mantle. And Mac deduces that the thing really wants to stay hidden, and that only a couple of people could be infected. It's it's not the entire crew. And because if it was, Mac would be dead already. And he even says, he's like, I know I'm human. Yeah. Um, he ends up separating Doc, Gary, and Clark as being prime suspects because of the, the uh, because of Blair's accusation and, of course, the fridge. And he asks Norris and Childs to drug them with morphine and uh, tie them up in the rec room while Fuchs works on a new w- kind of way of testing. Because I guess Fuchs is probably the next more qual- most qualified scientist mm-hmm. to do this. Um, and then we get the scene where Mac records the series of events. I'm probably going to splice that in here, but this is where he also mentions. I'm going to hide this tape when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. Storm's been hitting us hard now for 48 hours. We still have nothing to go on. One other thing, I think it rips through your clothes when it takes you over. Windows found some shredded long johns, but the name tag was missing. They could be anybody's. Nobody... Nobody trusts anybody now. We're all very tired. There's nothing else I can do. Just wait. R.J. McCready, helicopter pilot, U.S. Outpost number 31. And Fuchs suggests preparing their own meals because he believes that maybe, uh, that if, you know, he, he subscribes to the idea that if yeah. a single particle is enough to infect somebody, we need to be very careful about what we ingest. Um, but part of the power goes out, at least in his office, and... He ends up chasing uh, a shadow out into the snow and finds Mac's coat in shreds out in the snow. Um, when the rest of the team learns that he's gone, they go out to find him. They, they briefly stop by at Blair's shack and Blair has made a noose. But now, like you said, this is the drastic shift in personality. Yeah. Blair, have you seen Fuchs? I don't want to stay out here anymore. I want to come back inside. Funny things. I hear funny things Blair, out here. Have you come across Fuchs? It ain't Fuchs. It ain't Fuchs. Now, I'm not gonna harm anybody, and there's nothing wrong with me. And if there was, I'm all better now. I'd like to come back inside. Now you got my promise. We'll see. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, man. I want to come back inside, don't you understand it? I'm all right. I'm much better. 
and I won't harm anybody. And you gotta let me come back inside. He's begging to be let back inside. He's like, I'm fine now. I'm okay. Yeah. I was, I was going nuts. But I'm all better and now. This is where I, I think he's been changed. Oh yeah, he's absolutely yeah. been changed. Between locking him in and yeah. here, I think this and, is when the thing I, got to him. I think that Blair knew that he was his time was you know his days were numbered at that point, and that's why he made the news he was going to try and kill himself before. But, yeah, yeah, but, but it got to him before, right? So yeah, so like I said, I don't subscribe to the theory that Blair had already been infected, but um, they end up finding Fuchs's body burnt to a crisp mm -hmm. which is one of the more mysterious uh scenes because it's like nobody knows what happened to fuchs exactly and yeah. the movie never elaborates like or touches the, up on this the again. closest thing we get is like somebody suggests that he burnt himself with a flare like he well, himself yeah with the flare. They're, they suggest that maybe he burned himself because he saw the thing come out ready to assimilate him yeah or they somebody suggests that maybe the thing burnt him i don't know why that would happen um, Maybe just to uh, or yeah. Uh, more another <laughs> yeah. Another suggestion is that there is a lot of flammable propellant around. There's a lot of liquids that, mm -hmm. and maybe Fuchs or accidentally did. Like there's a lot of questions about yeah, what happened yeah. to him. Um, and Mac notices that his shack, the lights are on where he had left 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 them off at previously. So he and Nalls decide to head up to his shack while Windows heads back inside. Forty five minutes later. None of them return, or neither of them return. So the crew's like, we need to board up the building. We need to block it off. And suddenly, Nulls returns exasperated and shows them that he found some of Mac's clothes, that coat, stuffed in the oil furnace in his shack. Yeah. And uh, so then they're like, well, we need to keep Mac from coming in because now we, they know Mac is infected. Yeah. Uh, but Mac forces his way back in and takes them all hostage with some dynamite. Um kind of forcefully taking control of the situation. Like, as Mac is holding them hostage, Nalls and Norris ambush him from behind, and in the scuffle, Norris is knocked down. And up until this point, like, he'd had hints that he has had a heart condition. Right. And at this point, has a heart attack. Yeah. Um, so they quickly take him to the medical room, and Copper starts to try to resuscitate him, while uh, and then moves on to defibrillators. And while defibrillating him, Norris's chest opens up and just bites Doc's arm. Like off. you said that the scene with the dogs is the one you always think of. This is the one that I always think of. Um, now there's a lot to unpack on this scene. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first and foremost, I want to talk about uh, Joe Carone, a double amputee wearing a mask of the actor uh, Richard Dysart, who's Doc Copper, mm -hmm. is used in this scene. It's basically when his arms get cut off, it's because his arms are actually not okay. there. It is a double amputee who's acting in that scene, which I think is kind of cool. Okay, cool. I, I do. I always appreciate uh, differently abled people getting roles in Hollywood, even for, I mean, even in, in directly because of their, their right. <laughs> disabilities, but, uh, or their conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, so I always appreciate seeing that. I'm like, cool. I'm glad this guy is getting work. Uh, <laughs> but, um, there's a lot here as well to unpack because Norris at this point we learn is already assimilated, yeah, but had a heart attack. So there's different conflicting theories that maybe he the thing tried to pretend it had a heart attack. That's what I always thought is that it it knew that there was something wrong with Norris when it absorbed him, whether it knew like for sure like oh this guy has a weak heart or whatever. So it played dead. And then when uh, Copper was, you know, trying to shock it, the shocks hurt it. 
Yeah. And it was like, attack! Yeah, that's... That that's is what the, I think. <laughs> that's the leading theory. Another theory, which I actually... I don't know if I necessarily buy, but I do really like, uh -huh. is that because the, uh, the thing creates a perfect imitation, mm -hmm. it also imitates ailments. Really? Okay. Yeah, like, hmm. he has a bad heart. Why would it know to make a good heart? Yeah. <laughs> so the theory is that, yeah, this thing legitimately had a heart attack. And then when they're defibrillating it, it's like, oh, we're getting attacked. Bah! So um, <laughs> I, I think it's an interesting note. And yeah. I, I I just like that theory. I'm not sure if I necessarily buy it, but I do like that theory. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it ejects a Norris spider baby and Mac lights it up. Like, it's, like, this whole transformation sequence is so wild. It's it's a cool like, sequence. you get the Norris, like, going up on the ceiling for a hot moment and getting lit on fire. And then his head, like, stretches and pops off and grows legs and starts walking away screaming. Yeah, his head oozes off and tries to get away. Um, I guess during filming, uh, in order, like, the special effects team used this specific substance. I don't remember. I didn't, I didn't write down what it was. Mm -hmm. But they used this specific substance to create the gooey effect, which apparently is highly flammable. Well. Okay. And, like, mid-cut, like, Carpenter was like, wait a minute. They just lit his body on fire, and now we're shooting these scenes with no fire. That's continuity. We gotta light this guy on fire. Nobody thought about it. Okay. Um... Nobody was hurt in the resulting fireball. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, but apparently the uh, the prop work that had spent months working on was just destroyed. Ooh. <laughs> so, but, um, but yeah, it uh, the creature scurries away, makes some more awful noises, and uh, Palmer and Windows notice the head, and Palmer utters what a lot of people consider the best line in the movie, and, and it's Kurt Russell's favorite line in uh -huh. the movie, where he says, uh, like... You gotta be fucking kidding. <laughs> There's also a lot of fan talk about this scene because Palmer's the one who says it, and we know that later on that Palmer's already assimilated. Yeah. But whatever. I'm not gonna... It, I felt it pointless. Um, Mac demands everybody get tied up. Childs ends up defying him, and uh, Clark, during this confrontation, makes a move to attack Mac, who turns and shoots him right Just in the Just shoots head. him right in the goddamn head. Yeah, it's self-defense. Yeah. I'll, I'm a, I'll advocate for Mac. Then, then Mac kind of comes up with a plan to drive everybody's blood to test who's infected and who isn't um, by poking it with, you know, hot wire. Hot because wire, he's like, yeah. You know, when he saw the head crawling away, he's like, well, every single part of this thing has its own mentality. And it is its own creature. Its own, well, yeah, it, it's, it's got its own will to live. Right. Every single cell in this thing has its own will to live. So if we poke some blood with hot needle, it's going to try to live. Yeah. So, um... So he one by one starts this test up, and, and this is such a fucking intense scene. This like, is the, even yeah, still. This is the best scene of the movie. Yeah. Um, he he ends up testing Windows and himself first to show like I guess Windows he trusts the most for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and then obviously he proves that he's he himself is human. Um, and then he tests the two dead men, Doc and Clark, to determine if they are actually creatures or not. But they're also clear. Um, Palmer though. <laughs> well, it, it's so, like it very much wants the movie wants you to think that that Jerry is the, the uh huh, and that's a lot what Mac of the, thinks. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, okay, a lot Jerry of the focus is, is the on double. that because Mac is like, you know, we'll do you last because yeah, Larry's be, Gary's being very confrontational, even more so than Childs, and 
But I guess yeah. Childs is always confrontational to Max, so yeah, yeah. it's not that big of a thing. And so the, but of the course, is Gary like... is also the only one. Gary and Doc were the only two who had access to the fridge. Right. Doc was just proven innocent, so... Yeah, so the movie is like definitely steering you towards, okay, it's going to be Gary. Like, yeah. we're, we're going to go through all these, it's going to be tense, but Gary's the one that your attention is drawn to. Yeah. And then, like, they poke Palmer's blood, and the blood freaks out. Yeah, right? <laughs> And it's almost like, kind of like, he just, just does it. He's just like, cause every, uh, even his, uh, like, windows, when he's doing windows, it's like, windows kind of holds his breath. Like, yeah. oh god, I hope I'm not the thing. <laughs> um, I guess that's how he played it, too. That's how yeah. the actor def- played it, was like, as if he himself didn't know if he was the thing. Yeah. And, but when they, when they're doing, when he's doing Palmer's, he's so distracted by Gary. He's like, well, I guess we'll do you last. And then he touches it. And <laughs> <laughs> but it's the, like the only actual jump scare in the movie. Really. Uh-huh. Like the other, like, except maybe for, uh, the thing biting Copper's hands off. Right. But even I wouldn't like, even call that a jump that's scare. That's not really a jump scare. This mm-hmm. is, this is. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, while filming. They the um, they use a light to produce a shine in all of the actors' eyes. It gives them a lot more life and soul. It briefly shows Palmer right before they test his blood. He doesn't have that shine in his eyes. That's that's it's, detail to attention right it's there. It's so cool. I <laughs> it's something I never picked up no. on. And after I read this, I looked through the scene again. And I mean, there's a lot of shots of Palmer, and in most of them he has that shine. But right before they yeah. test his blood, you, it shows him, and he's looking down. There's no shine in his eyes. He's just, he almost looks like, well, here it is. Yeah, he's it's resigned. Like, <laughs> yeah, so in retrospect, like, if you watch it, you can see it very clearly. Uh-huh. But, um, but he, of course, starts to mutate, and Max Flamethrower malfunctions while everybody else is tied to a couch with this monster. <laughs> um, and the Palmer thing just begins to mutate and, like inflate in places and stretch <laughs> and start screaming and yep um windows moves in to torch it but he kind of freezes up and palmer's head just kind of opens up and bites windows like face. a venus fly trap and just grabs him and starts like jerking him around by the head yeah finally mac grabs uh windows's flamethrower lights him up and then blows him up mm-hmm. with a stick of dynamite which the explosion was bigger than Kurt Russell anticipated, and uh, <laughs> like you see him stumbling in the like in that scene. If you watch him, he stumbles yeah. pretty hard. It, it looks pretty genuine. It's because it is. Yeah, <laughs> but we, um, we almost lost Kurt Russell that day. <laughs> um, I am shocked that nobody was severely injured. Right, with all, with all the fire effects and explosions <laughs> and shit, and like very close quarters. Uh-huh. Like that, no one got injured is a miracle. Yep. Uh, then we see Windows, who's beginning to mutate, having been killed and infected, which is like I said, the only time we ever see that in this movie. Um, so Windows, uh, you know, so Mac has to light him up, mm-hmm. burn him up too, and then they go back to the test. And this time they're a lot more on edge. Yeah. Um, they test the rest. Not Nalls, Childs, and Gary are all clear. And it's really funny because each time one of them is proved safe. It cuts, and they're there holding a flamethrower to the other ones. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and a lot of times, like, and they usually get really upset, too. Like, as soon as they're proof they're safe, they're like, Get me off this damn couch! Yeah. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. And when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! <laughs> but um, with the remaining survivors all cleared, Mackinals and Gary head out to test Blair. Uh, giving Childs instruction to burn on sight because yeah. they leave him back behind. Now, like if you see Blair and we're not with and him, we're not with him. That means bad things. Yeah, burn him, burn that motherfucker. Yep. Um, they get up there and find that the shed is open and Blair is gone. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But they find but this... But la- the shed is latched from the outside. There's nowhere he could have gone. Yeah. Um, but they Retired. find a spaceship built in a little tiny tunnel underneath. <laughs> the world's itty-bittiest UFO. <laughs> I love it. Wolford Brimley couldn't fit in that thing. <laughs> it would be like the Great Gazoo or something where he's riding around in a little UFO and his head sticking out of the top. <laughs> That's what I always imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> But uh, but this is another thing, like, while the big spaceship in the movie that they find, I don't much care for, uh-huh. this doesn't bother me. Yeah. Even though it's goofily small. Yeah. But it, it is very eerie. It's just like, oh, shit, Blair can't make that. <laughs> How the hell do you do that that fast? Uh-huh. Because <laughs> it's I mean, only been... It's been a few days. It's been a few days, because like, even at that, that's a lot of work to build a, U- a functional UFO in, like, three days. Yep. I couldn't do that. <laughs> Um, but they, basically the rest of the team consigns themselves to their fate. They're like, this thing can't leave. It wants to leave. Mm -hmm. It's building a ship. Um, there's no way we're getting out of this alive. We need to stop it now. Yeah. Because if we all, yeah. Um, they, they also, when they turn back, they, they think they see childs run through the darkness or through the uh, snow and then the power gets killed. Yeah. And they kind of realize that what it's now trying to do is freeze them all out and it's going to go back into stasis yeah and wait for the next time so when the rescue crew comes they'll be able to pick the they'll find this thing and it'll unthaw and then the whole thing will continue again yep so they start setting about blowing up and setting on fire the entire facility uh while setting the dynamite up under the facility uh blair shows up and attacks gary and absorbs him and Nalls goes to investigate uh, we don't see Nalls again. Nope. His fate is left largely a mystery. I mean, we could put together what happens to yeah. him. Um, I guess originally they had uh, they had filmed and set up a very gory scene of Nalls oh, really? getting killed, but Carpenter did not like it. He was okay. just like, "This is just this is too, too much." much. Um, so they, it got cut. So just him going off and disappearing is all we see of him. Which again, I think is a much better mm-hmm. way of going about this. We've already seen this creature. We know what it's capable of, and we've seen some cool stuff. This is time for ominous. Like, he goes off. We know he's dead. The characters know he's dead. Yeah. There's no reason to shove it in your face. Um, the creature comes at Mac from under the ground and takes away the detonator. Uh, and it attacks him with a horrifically mutated form that seems to incorporate a bunch of the different things it's absorbed yeah, over you its see lifetime. The dogs and you see dogs. All you, sorts it's, of shit. It's got Blair's face on the side yeah. of it. Um, it's got. Parts and bits that you can only assume come from other alien creatures. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really, really cool puppet that took them months to make that you get to see for like five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and weirdly enough, it kind of reminds me of the creature from Metamorphosis. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Just the way its mouth is. Yeah. Um, Mac blows it up. Very easily. Mm-hmm. I don't know what its strategy was, but whatever. And he, it seems like a, okay, we got to end this movie. Uh huh. <laughs> and and that's really what it was. The budget was drying up. Oh, I so imagine. I think this thing went over budget. Like if I'm not mistaken, it had a huge budget. Did it? I, okay. I will say that it hit the biggest budget of most horror movies at the time. Okay. Um, but Mac blows it up, which takes out the rest of the facility, and he's left in the cold with the fires very rapidly burning out. Uh-huh. And he sits down to have another drink, and then Child shows up with a flamethrower and they both kind of explain, or he explains these like, well, I thought I saw Blair in the snow went out and got lost in the storm. Uh-huh. Um, but now they're both like, 
we don't know who is human and who isn't. And neither of, like, they're both like... We're, we're both in shitty shape. Yeah, like, we're in we're shitty shape. We can't do anything about it. So they decide to both kind of just sit down and die in the cold instead of killing each other. And that's where the movie ends. Yes. On this bleak note. Yep. Um, the, like I said, there were a lot of other endings filmed, yeah. written about, etc., etc. Like, the, the only one I know that was filmed but never released was one where Mac was rescued and they test his blood and confirm he's human. Right, right. But that wasn't released because it's, Carpenter hated it. He did not like it. Well, yeah, and it's too happy of an ending. Yeah, <laughs> Or too okay of an they, ending, They were say. afraid that the studios wouldn't like the bleak ending and would demand, like, a more closed ending. Uh-huh. And he's like, well, okay, if we have to reshoot it, we don't want to have to call Kirk back. Yeah. Like, we, we don't want to have to do that. Yeah. So we'll film it now, and hopefully we won't have to release it. And we can just throw it away and never think yeah. about it again. But if we do, it's there. Yep. And I don't even think it's been released on like DVDs or anything. It's just gone. It's gone. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad because yeah. I don't personally want to see that ending. No, like that's, no. that's a bad ending. I, I like the more, the bleaker, like even more ambiguous ending. Yeah. The, like, the spinning top ending. Yeah. Yeah. Were. Where it's like, what, which of these guys are human? Are they both human? Are neither of them human? And, and that's just it. There were a lot of different endings written yeah. and discussed where... All scenarios are possible. Yeah. Where Mac is the creature and Child is a human. Where Childs is the creature and Mac is human. Where they're both human. Where both where they're both yeah, the yeah. things. Um, Any of those are plausible. Yeah. I personally subscribe to the idea that neither of them uh, are the thing. They're both human. Mm -hmm. Because we've already seen that the thing is not really slowed down and, and weary. Yeah. And if it was literally like, I am the thing and you are human... Like Mac points out earlier, it would have just attacked him then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't necessarily buy that. Also, uh, I do think that <laughs> Mac's decision to just wait it out and see what happens is insanely irresponsible compared to the rest of his motivations. Yeah. Because he's like, if one of us is the thing, if, like if you're the thing and I'm, you know, I'm human, I'm not in any shape to fight you. I guess I'll just wait here, die, and let you freeze like you wanted. Yeah. Like no, he would have tried, you know, something, but. Um, I guess in the video game adaptation, which was released as a sequel to this movie um, yeah. in 2002, uh, it's considered as canon by John Carpenter. Right. Even though John Carpenter also hints that, like, in okay, in the video game, it's it's shown that Mac and Childs are both human. Yes. So, uh, so according to John Carpenter, considering this this game to be canon, no, they're both human. But apparently in other sources, he has also hinted at or specifically said mm -hmm. that Childs is the thing. Okay. So it's contradictory, and I yeah. think it's just Carpenter being Carpenter. Carpenter's very Carpenter about things. Yep. Um, but uh, that's the movie. That's that's the thing. The, so one of the greatest horror movies of all time, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, I still think I like the original Alien better as an actual movie, but like that's damning it with faint praise. I love both of these movies just yep. a ton. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Alien, that's one of the things that Carpenter wanted specifically in this movie is that he didn't want any of the creatures mm -hmm. to look like a man in a suit because he watched Alien and he was just like, like, well, it's a good movie and he was, he, he respects it. Uh -huh. He's like, at times he's like, no, you can just tell it's just a dude yeah. in a suit, which I mean, I, I get, but I also I, that's that's a whole get, that's a conversation that's that. a conversation but he wanted to avoid that he wanted yeah. every single instance of the thing to be like there is no way that is like he wanted it to be as far removed from human as possible and he got it he accomplished it so um but uh we've we've rambled on about this amazing movie for long enough let's go ahead and dive into the crunch yep you 
So welcome back to Creature Crunch. Back to the crunch. We're back to the crunch. Okay, I'm, I'm you want to talk it. about a tricky monster to crunch? This is why, like, I've wanted to do this movie since we started the show. I was terrified of doing this part of it, so I was waiting for you to do it. I, was like, <laughs> I am just, I don't know how to do this. Uh, I am just going to stay here and wait for Matt to see what he does because... Yeah, have you looked at this yet? No, I haven't. Okay, cool. So this will be blind. No, I yeah, don't no, know this... what the thing looks like, Matt. This is a tricky creature yeah. to crunch. I'm happy with what I came up with. Okay. I have no idea if it works. It <laughs> probably doesn't. That's always the best. I know, right? And it's it, this definitely, like, running this creature is going to take a lot from the DM. Yeah. The DM is going to have to take some liberties, and you'll see what I mean. Okay. So, for this crunch, I named this thing the Unnameable Horror. Okay. Which sounds like, at first blush, like kind of a cop-out. But at the same time, I think it encapsulates it a little bit. I am honestly shocked that there's not anything called named that. that <laughs> yeah, already. right? But it's like, this thing is a shapeshifter. You don't know what its original form is. It's, it mm. is its own thing. It is the thing. Yeah. So I figure, like, you can't name that. I, you could have so, called it otherworldly something, I'm sure. I know, I, I could have. But I don't want to step on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> I have words. I'm, I just but, have a limited number of words, but they're good words, Matt. <laughs> I'm happy with my my naming convention. I like the unnameable horror. Okay. Um, it is a medium aberration, neutral evil, and it's an aberration because it is an alien. Yep. <laughs> um, now, this is the, the it, it jumps in right away. Kind of interesting. This thing's only got an armor class of eleven. That's not much. It is not much. Um, you will see why. Okay. It's got a decent hit point pool of 5d8 plus 44. It's an average of 66. Okay. Um, I think it's going to come as... You'll, you'll find that it's going to come as no surprise that I based some of this thing off of the red slot. Um, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I aimed for a challenge rating of 5. Now, 66 hit points is considerably less than the red slot. Those average about 97 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you'll see why it's got less hit points here in a moment. Yeah. Uh, it's got a speed of 30 feet, mm-hmm. and its attributes, uh, I gave it a 15 in strength. I mean, it's strong enough to lift some humans around and okay. juggle them around, but it's also not, like, overly strong. We don't ever see it doing any massive feats of strength. Uh, dexterity of only 13. Uh, it's got a constitution of 18. This thing takes quite a bit of punishment. Um, it's got an intelligence of 10, because this thing is clearly not animalistically done, like, Right. non-intelligent but it's also not the smartest thing i, I it, it's more instinctual it seems more instinctual like it needs to be smart enough to attack when things when people are isolated mm-hmm. and yet it's not smart enough to know that dogs bark when they are threatened and you know sense hostility and it i mean if it was smarter we wouldn't have had a movie this thing would have killed everybody yeah. without them knowing it so i i left it at a 10 um, it's got a wisdom of 14 cause this thing I feel needs to be a little bit more vigilant and it's got a charisma of 16. Dang, yo. For reasons that will become apparent in a moment. I almost had it at a low charisma because it's like having a high charisma generally equates people to being very unnoticeable. Okay. And that's to me what this thing wants to be. It wants to blend into the crowd. Right. Okay. But I mean, charisma is kind of a weird stat to deal with anyway. Um, but I gave it this high charisma because it's two skills I gave it expertise in are deception and performance, which seemed apt. Sure thing. 
um, passive perception of 14, and I gave it damage immunities. Immunities to poison, because I can't imagine this thing being poisoned. Uh, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. Bullets don't seem to be doing do anything with it. They, they have to kill it with fire every time. Which is why I gave it a vulnerability to fire. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, condition immunities of charmed, petrified, and poisoned. Because I, again, petrified because it's, it's a shapeshifter. Not many mm. things can... Not many shapeshifters are, are uh, vulnerable to petrification. Um, poisoned because of the same thing. And then charmed. I can't imagine this thing being charmed in any way. No, not really. Uh, it's got no languages. And like I said, challenge rating of five. Uh, I gave it the immutable form trait. So it can't... Uh, it's immune to any spell that would affect or alter its form. Okay. Um, but then I gave it the ultimate shape changer ability. So uh, the shape, the normal shape changer ability allows creatures to imitate other creatures, but they usually retra- retain their own statistics. For this thing, no, it's a it is a perfect imitation if you'll remember. Okay, but there's a stipulation: when the unnameable horror drops a creature to zero hit points, it can use its action to absorb that creature's essence. The creature's body is destroyed, and the unnameable horror can polymorph into that creature on its next turn. I did it a little bit faster than we see in the movie just because otherwise this thing would not be as big of a threat in a D&D setting. Right. Um, but the unnameable horror gains the statistics of the absorbed creature, including its AC, its speed, its strength, dexterity, constitution, and intelligence scores, unless its natural scores are higher. Um, as well as gaining any new skills, proficiencies, and languages that the absorbed creature had. It retains all its traits and actions, but also gains all of the absorbed creature's traits and actions. And any equipment it is wearing or carrying is not transformed, and it reverts to its true form when it dies. Good gravy. Good luck figuring out what its true form is, DMs. I don't care. Um, probably just a massive, massive flesh would be my yeah. guess. But um, So this thing, there's a lot there, and it's going to be up to the DM to discern, like determine what might not make sense for this thing to actually copy over. But as far as I can tell in the movie, and this is my theory, is when it does create a perfect imitation, I mean, most of the people who it's imitating generally act the same, okay, with few exceptions. Um, that means it, it gets it gains their memories and their their thoughts, right? Like it it knows who they are. Therefore, it would stand to reason that it is intelligent, which yeah. to me is why. Blair, arguably the smartest mm-hmm. smartest doctor there, is the one building the spaceship. Okay. This thing could not build its spaceship alone. It had to assimilate Blair in order but to Wilford gain his Brimley knowledge. Could. Yes, Wilford Brimley can absolutely okay. build a spaceship. Okay. I believe it. Um, so that's that is my personal theory, and that's what I worked into this. Okay. Yeah. So um, like that is super fucking complicated, but I think it works. And <laughs> Can I, I can I pat myself on the back for that being super complicated and condensed to a single paragraph? Yeah, really. <laughs> like, that is what I was terrified of right? trying to stat out in this thing. It's yeah. just so, so much. I like what I did. I like that I, I was able to do it. I feel like I accomplished it to a degree. Like I said, it is going to take some work on the DM's part because there are going to be instances. I It's impossible for me to cover every single mm. exception yeah, yeah, to the yeah. rule. So if a DM is like running this and it's like, oh, it copies all of the traits and there's a conflicting trait, they're going to have to make their own decision. Yeah. Like, there's nothing I can do about that. But that's not all. That's not these things only feature trait. Okay. This thing also has the will to survive. All right. When the unnameable horror drops to half of its hit points or fewer, it can split its body in two in an effort to escape and survive. Goodness. 
As a bonus action, the part of its body that isn't in immediate danger can detach, having its size, growing legs or some other appendage of locomotion, and move up to half its speed without provoking attacks of opportunity. Dang, yo. Yeah. It can pop its head off and grow spider legs and run away. Yep. Um, then it also has regeneration. The unnameable horror regains 10 hit points at the beginning of each of its turns. If the unnameable horror takes fire damage, this trait doesn't function at the start of the horror's next turn. Okay. The horror only dies if it starts its turn with zero hit points and doesn't regenerate. Very okay. similar to, like, the troll's regeneration right. just without the acid portion. Um, so, in my head, like, this thing gets down to half its hit points, splits in half, part of it scurries around the corner, and then immediately begins to regenerate. Right, right. Okay, yeah. That is not this thing's only marquee feature. Good God, man. <laughs> or it's not, I've got three, three marquee features on this, but we'll get to the third one here in a second. Now we're jumping into actions. Okay. It's got a multi-attack. Of course. The Unnameable Horror makes three attacks, one with its bite and two with its whips. Alternatively, it can make two whip attacks and use its acid spray. All right. Now the bite. The bite attack is its last defining feature. Um, it's a melee weapon attack, plus five to hit, reach of five feet, one target, and it deals an average of 12 damage, 2d8 plus three, which is also significantly, like, this thing's damage output is actually pretty low compared to a challenge rating five creature. Right. Because of all of this extra shit that it can do, and then, of course, if it's absorbing other creatures, like, I even may need to put in a stipulation that its challenge rating changes depending on which creature it turns into, <laughs> but, um, but it deals uh, 12, an average of 12 piercing damage. If the target is a creature... It must succeed on a DC 14 constitution saving throw or be infected with a disease. The unnameable horror infection. That's a bad infection. The infection takes 2d10 hours to complete. During this time, the host is clueless to the disease. When it comes to fruition, the host dies and becomes a new unnameable horror in the form of the host. Dang. The infection can be stopped before fruition using greater res restoration or similar magic. Okay. So that's where that the red slot kind of came in, because I yeah. base that's pretty heavily off of the tadpole that the red slots can inject. Right. With a much faster incubation period. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but again, we see this in the movie. This is exactly mm -hmm. what we see. That's what I was going with. Okay, cool. Um, and then finally, it's whip. Uh, the, the last two things, relatively simple. Uh, it's whip attacks, it's got uh, plus five to, re to hit, a reach of ten feet, um, one target per whip, uh, on an average deals six bludgeoning damage, 1d6 plus three, and the target is grappled with an escape DC of 12, and the unnameable horror cannot use this whip again, but it has four whips. Okay. So it can use two a turn, but it can grapple up to four creatures. Yeah. Um, very heavily inspired by the dog kennel scene. Yeah. Um, I almost gave it a tongue attack as well, like a tentacle, but I figured that was pretty much the exact same thing as the lips yeah. and just a little bit too much. No, no, I get you. And then finally, I gave it the acid spray. The unnameable horror sprays a stream of acid at one target creature within 30 feet. The target has to succeed on a DC 14 dexterity saving throw or take um, 1d12 acid damage and an additional 1d8 acid damage at the beginning of each of its turns. The target can make a DC 14 con saving throw at the end of each of its turns to end the effect on a success. Okay. So, um, so that's it. down with, with that good digestive juice. That's right. Um, so, again, this thing does not have a huge damage output. No, but that's not what it's supposed to do. No. And, At least by itself. 
and talk about a tricky creature to crunch. Yeah, like I, like, like I said, I've wanted to do this movie since we started. It's one that we talked about. It's mm-hmm. one of our favorite movies. I had no idea how to go about even beginning to do this. Yeah. I, I mean, so I, I am... think you did it just about as good as it could be done. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I will take that as an absolute compliment. I don't know if it works. But yeah, it's no, there. Do I. Like I said, I might need, to, with the ultimate shape changer, I'll probably need to put an addendum in there that the creature's um, challenge rating adjusts. Maybe, like, adds its challenge rating to the absorbed creature. Um, but yeah, I also imagine that this thing's hit point pool, like, if if the absorbed creature it absorbed, or if the creature it absorbs has a lower hit point maximum than this thing, it's going to retain this, that 66. Mm-hmm. But if it's got more, it's going to gain more. Right. Yeah. So, um, but that's that is that so is astonishingly complicated. Like, yeah, like I said, it's going to take a lot for the DM, uh-huh. um, and especially again, this thing is not going to likely not going to win in a fight, a one on fight no. or a one on five four fight with a team of adventurers. But this thing can, like, if, again, like you see in the movie, if it can single a person out and kill them individually, mm-hmm. this thing becomes the most terrifying thing ever to exist. Yeah, that it's got lasting repercussions. Like, if it infects people then yep. you're just gonna go through the whole situation again yep so uh so that's what i've got chris that's pretty dang good yo i appreciate that um so that's it for this uh yeah. chris what are we watching next next time is your pick it is so i think it's about time for us to get to the choppa uh and we are going to watch the original predator oh boy <laughs> predator handshakes abound yeah okay so uh two weeks predator two weeks predator Predator um, two weeks. Two <laughs> weeks. That's when the Predator happens. In two weeks. Right. Not the Predator, just Predator. Predator. We're not watching the Predator. No. That's a different movie. It is. So, um, thanks for listening. Yep. We definitely appreciate it. Yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter at Creature Crunch. Subscribe to our Patreon, uh, CreatureCrunch.com slash Patreon. What? Patreon.com slash Creature Crunch. <laughs> when did you buy a website, my friend? <laughs> That's news. <laughs> patreon.com slash creature crunch where you can check out some of our bonus stuff early access to uh comics, comics crunch, crunch um anything else that we got up yeah there? because by this point comics crunch will be on the main feed so the first episode at least yep. yeah um also uh as of right now i'm going to have uh, i i have launched officially creature crunch's youtube hey, channel. All right. so if you somehow listen to this as but like, don't have access to the patreon or if you somehow listen to this but don't have access to a podcatcher, you can check it out on YouTube. Or I guess more to the point, if you have a friend who listens yeah. to YouTube. I've, I've found a startling number of people who do not do like podcasts, podcasts but listen to things on YouTube. That's, so I don't understand that, but... <laughs> whatever. But it's reaching out to a greater audience. Yeah. So, I can't um, run YouTube at 1.7 times speed. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so got a YouTube... Um, you can reach out to us, creaturecrunchpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to suggest any movies. Uh, give me any kind of feedback. I would love to hear from you. Um, got links to the stat blocks in our, uh, in our feed, uh, or in our, uh, you got links to the stat block in our description. Uh, you can also find them on our Twitter and, uh, you can get them on D and D beyond under my old, by searching for my old Twitter handle, uh, the underscore best underscore disguise. And uh, Chris, uh, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the library C. That's C E E. I'm still painting away at uh, those X Men miniatures. They're coming yeah. out pretty good. Alrighty, and yeah, they are. They look fantastic. You're getting better every time. 
And uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter uh, at Danny underscore Hamstake. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.